Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, good morning. How are you guys? Good to see you. We have like 80 plus people up at Wild Adventure Camp, probably about 35 staff from our church and uh, several of the teenagers. So it looks a little sparse out here, but I am so excited for them up there at camp. And uh, they are hearing the word of God. And Chase has uh, Chase is growing in, in his uh, ability to present that way. He, of course, teaches the kids every week, but but preaching has never been one of his strong suits. So it was fun to, to mentor with him and be, be alongside of him as he prepared this. I know Alistair and, and Dave Holst and myself and different people put a lot of time into that for him. And uh, I, I know he appreciates your prayers and our prayers uh, for him and also for the, for the kids and the staff that are up there this week. A lot of, uh, a lot of heart stuff going on up there. A lot of things um, happen. This is, this is uh, we've been in this season, haven't we, of loss in our church. And uh, this camp, uh, you know, Crystal Wimmer is up there ca- as a counselor, and her, her kid, her daughter Malia is up there at camp, um, so I'll be praying for, for them. Certainly, it's the first wild adventure camp without Danny and Rena, so um, that's really being felt right now as well. So please keep the campers in your prayers and the counselors in your prayers. It's, uh, it's going to be different. It's going to be different, but it's still going to be good and uh, for the glory of God, so we're, we're excited about that. Well, we are looking at Psalm chapter 3 and chapter 4 today, if you would turn there in your Bibles. But I also want you to turn, before we get to that, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, we're going to preface these psalms by reading uh, a portion of that passage, or a passage in, in 2 Samuel chapter 15. <clears throat> um, we, we're going through a, a series, uh, basically it's the summer in the psalms, right? We're, ta- we're spending the summer in the psalms. So if it's hot outside... We're in Psalms, all right? If it's hot outside during the week, you should go be in Psalms. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it's one of those places that we should go. And last week we looked at uh, the introduction to Psalms, chapter 1, and we saw that, that it would be wise of us to, to meditate on the Word of God and to delight on the Word of God day and night, that we, would, that we receive instruction of the Lord there. So everything that comes after that are the instructions of the Lord, and that's the Psalms for us. So you and I can go to the Psalms, we can meditate on them day and night, we can memorize them, we can have our, our trust in the Lord be built and our confidence in the Lord be built um, and, and be wise uh, in the way we live our lives for Christ as well. So uh, that, today we're moving on to chapters 3 and 4, and I, I want to give you a little bit of a, a background there. Uh, Psalms 3 and 4, they, they seem like they go together. Uh, most, most theologians would say that these are two Two uh, chapters that would go together, Uh, the first being the morning psalm, not like I'm mourning or crying, but in the morning, right, because it talks about waking up, and uh, it talks about the pressures from every side and what uh, what they're facing, what what, uh, David is facing, and then the second psalm, the the fourth psalm, right, the second one we'll talk about today, Psalm 4, is called the evening psalm. It's it's what happens, what's happened all day, and then at the very end of Psalm chapter 4 in verse 8, it talks about lying down, going to sleep, and being at peace. So we, we see that happen and that build up today. Uh, it's, it's labeled, the first, uh, the first passage we look at, Psalm 3, is labeled a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. And that's, we're going to pick that up today uh, in, psalm, in 2 Samuel chapter 15. But I would encourage you for context, maybe tonight as you have a family devotion or do your own devotion, to read 2 Samuel chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18. Read a bunch of those chapters for context of what's happened and what's going on here. It'll help you understand the pressures that David is facing as we look at Psalm chapter 3 and 4 today, okay? Also, the second uh, one we look at, Psalm chapter 4, the title on that, it says, A night prayer or an evening psalm for the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So it was to be accompanied by music and sang in worship service. 
very important. It, it, this, is, this is timeless stuff we're looking at. Uh, there, there are some things in the Bible that, yes, it's culturally relevant for that day, and it was, it was meant for a certain audience, and, and it probably doesn't apply much for us today, it's some of the cultural customs. But beyond that, the truths of Scripture are relevant and timeless for us today. And as David is, is experiencing these pressures from every side, we too have pressures from every side. As David exhibits confident faith in the Lord, we too can exhibit confident faith in the Lord. And we'll look at what that looks like today as we look through chapters 3 and 4. So we're talking about confident faith in the middle of these trials. We have this, uh, this, this Absalom, his son, leading a political coup against his father. And he won the hearts of, of many of, of David's friends and allies. And so let's, let's pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. Okay, we'll read 11 through 14. 200 men from Jerusalem went with Absalom. They had been invited and were going innocently, right? Kind of under false pretenses, they thought they were going innocently. For they did not know the whole situation. While he was offering the sacrifices, Absalom sent for David's, David's advisor, Ahithophel, uh, the Gilanite, from the city of Gilo. So the conspiracy grew strong, and the people supporting Absalom continued to increase. Then an, an informer came to David and reported, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Look at verse 14 here. David said to all the servants with him in Jerusalem, Get up, we have to flee, or we will not escape from Absalom. Leave quickly, or he will overtake us quickly. Heap disaster on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David flees, right? Now, I want you to, as we look at this verse 14, certainly you'll look for context tonight as you read or this afternoon, but in verse 14, I think we see David's heart here start to come through. What we see him say, listen to what he says. He says, David said to all the servants with him in Jerusalem, get up, we have to flee or we will not escape from Absalom. One, one of the things on his heart is we're dead meat. We're going to die. All of my allies, all of my friends, all of my top advisor is not with me anymore. In fact, as I talk to you, I'm not even sure I can trust you. I, I, am, I am under severe pressure here. My son wants to kill me. My son wants to overthrow this kingdom, and, and I, don't, I don't want that. I, I, God, God chose me to be king of, of Israel. He anointed me to be king. So he, on his heart are all these issues. What, what is God going to do? This is not what God wants. And he's fearing for his life. And he says, leave quickly or he will overtake us quickly. So he's got to take action. He knows Absalom has got, got this support mounted. And you'll see in these chapters how he did that. And then it says, uh, he will overtake us quickly and heap disaster on us. And then the last, last phrase here, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David wasn't only concerned about himself, was he? He was concerned about the servants around him. And he was concerned about the city that God had entrusted him with. So as, as he's out in this in, in this caves or wilderness or desert, wherever he is as he flees, as he's there thinking and pondering and worrying, obviously his life is on his heart and mind, but also the lives and the blessings of his people, of God's people are on his mind. His heart is for the city of Jerusalem. His heart is for God's city. And, and it sees, we see that it come through, even as, as David prays in these Psalms, he certainly prays God for victory over my enemies, but he prays ultimately that, that God would be the God of salvation and that God would have victory over the hearts of his enemies too. Amen? And for you and I, we, we need to understand that that needs to be the same. We sometimes, we have enemies. We have people who don't like us and don't like Jesus. And we take, God, let me have victory over these people. Let me have victory over these people. But are we also praying that, God, would you have victory over their heart? 
Would you have victory over their heart that they might be redeemed as well and counted as your people, set apart and counted as the faithful because of what you have done in, in redemption? So David, this is kind of the background going into Psalm chapter 3. Okay, So let's, let's turn uh, back to Psalms, chapter, chapter 3 and 4. Uh, we're going to read both, both passages and then we're going to break that apart. Okay, Let's pray first and we'll get, get to work. Father, we are so grateful for you for who you are, and, and Father, for, for giving us redemption through the Son, Jesus Christ. As we come before you now as your, your body, your bride, God, we've worshipped you and we continue to worship you, and God, we ask that you're, you would open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word, that you would challenge us with it, you would change us, you would renew us, and God, you would give in us a confidence and a confident faith in our Lord that there's nothing impossible with God and that you are a God who is triumphant and victorious and no enemy of ours will ever be victorious over you. We are thankful for all that you've done and the hope that we have in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So we're in Psalm chapter 3, and we'll read chapters 3 and 4 together, then we'll break it down, okay? Beginning in verse 1. Lord, how my foes increase. They are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Chapter 4. Answer me when I call, God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will, you, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Selah. Now that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself, the Lord will hear when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Selah. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Amen. Amen. Let's break this down. Let's talk about this. We're we're talking about a confident faith today. We're talking about a faith that is sure and that's triumphant and that's victorious, that our faith and our trust, it bolsters us and gives us courage. It gives us hope in the middle of despair. And that's what we see in David's life, a confident faith. But let's see some aspects of this confident faith. What's the first part? If we go back to chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, a confident faith, we see, will be accused. 
A confident faith will be accused. Listen, having a confident faith in the Lord does not mean you are oblivious to, or, or, or safe from everything that goes on around you. There are pressures of the world that mount. There are disasters, there's loss, there's persecution, there's despair all around us. And it doesn't mean we're safe from that. It means that we have a confidence in the Lord over that. And to get us through that. Amen? If, if we didn't have any disaster around us, we wouldn't need a confident faith. We wouldn't need a confident hope in God. Because we have disaster, because we have despair, because the world sometimes seems like, the, like it's closing in around us, we have to have a confident faith in the Lord, and we can have that. So we will be accused. We will be accused. We will face trouble, and we will face opposition. Let's look at what, what David says in verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, how my foes increase. You know, it, it, he, he stops. He's like, I, I thought I had it bad. I knew my son was out to get me, and he got some of my advisors and, and some of my friends, and he's mounted some, some armies against me. And then what does he say? I thought it was bad, but they're getting bigger. There's more of them. And the next part says, there are many who attack me. Lord, how my foes increase, there are many that attack me. And then he says, it's not only the pressures from around that they're trying to come against me, they're actually making accusations against me. Look what it says in verse 2. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. There's no help for him in God. Oh, man. What a lie, isn't it? What a lie. They want to look at him and say, there's no, there's no help for you. There's no hope for you. You're not going to get out of this one. And certainly there was blood on David's hands and there were things he had done wrong. He's not perfect, but he was made perfect in his God who is his righteousness. Right? And, he, and he could trust confidently in the Lord to provide for him, and he knew that. So when he says, Lord, my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. We can see that around our lives as well, that despair around our lives. And David, David had it bad. And if we look at David's circumstances, we might think, you know what? I don't have it so bad. Right? There are things in people's lives sometimes you see, like, man, I, they got it bad. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of complaining for nothing here. Right? But, but we do feel pressure. right? We do feel discouraged. We do feel despair. Satan wants to get us, and he wants to unsettle our heart. And whether it's something big, 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 and bad, or there's something small and inconvenient, Satan wants to unsettle your heart. And the pressures can still mount. So we see that with David. We see that in our own lives, right? People maybe will start murmuring and, and taking sides around us and, and pointing and staring and whispering about us, making maybe false accusations or maybe spreading gossip and lies. It doesn't feel good. But for those who are repentant, who have, who have emptied themselves of their sins, said, I, I, I want to repent of what I've done and be restored. For those who have been re repentant, they have a confident faith in the Lord. Despite the lies, despite the rumors. We also see this with Jesus, don't we? We see how Jesus was pressured. There were many, many troubles against Jesus, weren't there? The huge weight of our sins that he carried as a burden. Right? That was a trouble and a pressure around him. The, the Satan and all his demons that he had stirring up all kinds of trouble for, for Jesus all along the way. It was a burden upon him. The leaders of Israel who, who wanted power and prestige and wanted to plot to kill Jesus to get him out of the way was a burden on Jesus and a pressure on Jesus. 
Certainly the physical, actual physical pains that he went through as he was tortured before he went to the cross were a pressure on Jesus. So much so that he was beaten within a beat of his life. So much so that he couldn't carry his own cross to Golgotha. Someone else had to carry it for him. He was too weak. What about the spiritual sorrow he faced? in knowing that as he went to the cross, he would feel forsaken by God. The spiritual sorrow he faced in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, when he knelt down to pray and said, God, please, if there's any way to remove this pressure and this cup from me, let's do that. And as he submitted in sweat, sweat like drops of blood, he said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And he was obedient. Obedient in the middle of all the pressures How about the reality that death and hell were constantly against them, against him? The pressures of being forsaken by God. Some even mocked. You think about the cross when he was on the cross. The the thief on the cross, they mocked. If you're you're really king of the Jews, if you're really God's own son, if you're the anointed one, then get us off of here. Get yourself down and save us too at the same time. They absolutely mocked him and and basically said the same thing that they they said against David. There is no help for him in God. And I want you to understand that that I understand that pressure as well and you understand that pressure as well. And and for you and I, it's the worst thing to feel that there may may be no help for us in God. And that's what the, the world wants you to believe. That's what Satan wants you to believe, that for you there is no help for you in God. And when we feel that way, the pressures around us crush us and suffocate us. And we go to a dark spot. We go to a spot of despair. And David knew that there was help for him in God. Right? But thanks be to God who has conquered Satan, sin, and death. That we, we, have, we have a Savior, a Lord, who has triumphed through suffering and rose victoriously from the grave. And he's conquered it as our King of Kings. Amen. We have hope. I want you to look at this passage and, and, and see the word here, Selah. I read that as we, as we went through it, right? And some of you, some of you you've been in your Bible study, your, your, your own personal study, and you've seen that word. It's like, well, it's kind of italicized. It's on the side. Eh, we'll skip it. We'll skip it. It's some, something else. And I, I have too. I'm guilty of that, right? I just read through and don't read the Selah. It's important. It's important. The actual clear meaning is, is not quite understood, right? There's not a, this is exactly what it means. But there's a lot of, a lot of speculation and, and actually pretty solid, wise basis for, for kind of a breadth of meaning for it. And I'm going to give that to you, okay? Most of the people think that it's, it's actually a musical instruction when you see Selah. It's, it's a musical instruction for the choir, for, for uh, the, the sound, and for the pauses. It's kind of like if you read a, a composition of music and you saw all the notes and, and all, the, all the little swirlies and doodads and doohickeys, they all mean something, right? Get louder, stop. Start again, return to the, the front. I, I used to know this stuff when I was in, like in fifth grade, right? But it, it's a musical instruction, right? And, and it, it's, it's likely to mean, here's what it's likely to mean. It, it's likely to mean it, it's to rest, that you take a rest and you pause and reflect. But it also has this, this double meaning where, where it's, it's not only pause and reflect, it also builds. It's meant to to build to what is next in the verse, what is next in the song or what is next in the psalm. It may be to crescendo now or to build with more sound and sing it more loudly. 
Whatever the exact meaning is, what I, what I have gathered from it and what I have applied now to my life as I read Scripture is this, that we can certainly take to heart what is being read and instructed and emphasized here in Scripture, but there's always something excellent. Listen, when you see a Selah, there's always something excellent to be gained when we are asked to rest and to pause and to reflect on what is just spoken. And there's always something excellent to be gained when we are required to lift up our voices or lift up our grateful hearts to the Lord and sing it like we mean it. There's always something to be gained by that. So when we see a Selah, here, here's the way I, I say it. When you see a Selah, you stop and you think about it. You think about what was just stated. You think long and hard because maybe you need a change of heart. And then you wait for it. You get ready because what's coming next potentially is what is the promise to be had in the scripture. So let's look at that. Let's take a look, okay? Look at verses one and two again. What's that? Pause, yeah, absorb, reflect, and then, then build and get ready. So verses one and two. Lord, how many, or how my foes increase, how many are those who attack me? Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. So we pause, we reflect on what has just been said. We think, is this true? Am I, am I believing correctly? Am I believing maybe a lie? Am I believing that there's no help for me in God? And then what happens in the next verse? It builds. Our heart lifts, a grateful heart lifts, and we have a truth to, to wrap our hearts around. It says, but you, Lord, are my shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. Amen? You see the power of that. That you reflect on the sorrow. It's a lamentation. There's something here to grieve about or to think about and ponder and to reflect upon. And then as we reflect, we maybe need to change our heart or change our attitude and then get ready. Get ready for what's to come. Get ready for the promise that God has in store for you next. And that's where the, the verse goes. He says, but Lord... You, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. Now we're going to cover three through six here in a minute as, as we talk about a confident faith, but that's number two. A confident faith brings comfort and rest. A confident faith brings comfort and rest. It's, it's a rest that comes from pondering all the pressure, from reflecting on all, on all, the, all the truths that you may know or may, maybe they're lies that you're believing it's reflecting, and then it's, it's from rest comes and comfort comes from, from looking to the Lord and lifting my heart and my gaze to Him and letting the truth of God's Word and God's instruction penetrate my heart and comfort my heart and give my heart rest. That's what this passage is saying. A confident faith brings comfort and rest. It says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. He goes on and says, I cry aloud. And here's another Selah verse. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. So what do we reflect on there? We reflect on that as I cry to the Lord. I'm not crying out to, to the, the guy down the street. I'm not crying out to the, the governor of my, my province. I'm not crying out to the king on his throne. I am crying out to the king of kings, the Lord of hosts in all his glory, who sits on a throne on his holy mountain. Amen? That's what it's saying. That we ref, When we reflect, we reflect that we trust in Almighty God. 
We trust in Him and His glory and His power and His majesty. Reflect on that for a bit. And then there's hope and rest from that. Look what it comes. It builds, right? It's like this is an awesome truth. And what does it do for us? If I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. The Lord sustains me. I wrap my heart around that. And then it says in verse 6, I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. There is comfort and there is rest. There is hope in the Lord Almighty. Amen? There is security in that. David's confidence is sounded here as he prays to the Lord in thanksgiving as God is the protector of his soul, a shield all around him. It's echoed in Psalm 28, 7. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. And I want you to understand what he's guarding here. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. What trust in him? My heart the place that needs to have trust, it needs to have hope, it needs to have security, and needs to have reassurance. My heart. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and I give thanks to Him with my song. See, our heart can celebrate because He is our shield and our strength that we have found comfort and rest in our confident faith. David goes on, he says, you are my glory. He says, you are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. And here's what David is saying. David is not saying, I am so glorious, God, and that's why your glory and my glory can be seen. And obviously, I'm your chosen one. I'm the, I'm the man. He is saying that I am in a place of shame and need and despair. I am in a place of humiliation with my people and with my men and with my advisors and my friends. I am in a place of shame and humiliation. But what he sees and what he has the grace to see is God's future glory. God's future glory revealed even in the midst of present shame. Wherever we are, whatever desert you're in, whatever hardship you're facing, whatever present shame or humiliation you might be in the middle of, we can let God be our glory. God, your glory will be revealed. And I want, I want to see your glory revealed through this time, through this circumstance, that you would be your glory revealed through this time of present shame. And that's how God is, isn't he? That's how God works. He takes what was rotten and, and broken and shameful and guilt-ridden and He redeems it. He takes, takes ashes and turns it into beauty. That's what our Lord does. God truly is the only one then that can lift up His head. David doesn't have the strength and the energy or the, the ability, but God can lift up His head. So he cries aloud to the Lord who is sitting on His throne and is sovereign over all. See, David... He rests secure because God reigns supreme. David can rest secure because God reigns supreme. And what grows in David's heart is confidence. What grows in his heart is confidence. I want you to see as, as we look through this section, it's kind of a trio of God's mercies. The first part of it is this, that he is a shield and defense for the defenseless. He is a shield and defense for the defenseless. He takes care of your heart. The next part we see, he is the glory for the despised and rejected, that he will make beauty from ashes. And finally, that he is the joy and comfort for the restless. He is the joy and comfort for the restless. You should have said, I'll lie down and sleep. I'll wake again because the Lord sustains me. 
He is, he is our comfort when we are restless. Oh, how we can rest in Him. Amen. Number three, a confident faith knows that salvation belongs to the Lord. That salvation is, it belongs to the Lord. If we can, if we can say law, the fact that God is on His mountain, on His throne, and He is holy and sovereign, we can rest assured in our confident faith that salvation also belongs to Him. Look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3, and then we'll go into verse, chapter 4. It says, How many, my, or sorry, uh, 7 and 8, Rise up, Lord, save me, my God. Who's he crying out to? Himself? His leaders? No, he's crying out to the Lord. Strike, you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. And in verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Well, there's nothing we're building to here. So let's reflect again. It's like at the end of a song when Dane leads us in a song and, and what he's singing and he hits the end, right? And there's, there, it's probably the chorus or it's really that, that really great bridge or tag that was really poignant, right? What do we do at the end? We sing it again. You say it again. So he says, Rise up, Lord, save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. You think about it. And then you repeat and say, Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. So important that salvation belongs to the Lord. And as David is in despair, he knows that he has found that salvation. But what he's wanting to do is have the wicked confronted with their sin. To have them, have them jacked in the jaw and say, listen, you better shape up or else. You better understand the judgment of God on your sin. You might think you're full. You might think you're full of yourself. But there is a God who sits on a throne that is bigger than you and will judge you. And that's, that's how we meet Jesus, right? We know that we can't get there on our own. And that's what, what creates repentance inside of us and turning from ourselves, coming empty to God and trusting that the Lord, right? And salvation belongs to the Lord, and David knows that, and David wants that, because he says salvation belongs to the Lord. He's hoping in the salvation of the Lord, and he says, reiterates to, about God, that his blessing, may your blessing be on your people. Again, his concern is for himself, and his concern is for the people of God, even his enemies, that they might know and fear and trust in the Lord as he does. Your blessing is on your people. This carries on. We continue to, to go into the next part of, of, of our section in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let's continue. Then it's still in the theme that salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and it's, it's a neat thing. David here starts by talking to God. He starts by praying to God, and then he switches gears and starts talking to people. And isn't that the way it should be? How many times have we gotten a conversation or went, went straight to somebody and started talking to them when we should have maybe prayed a little bit more beforehand? Right, how good are we are just kind of just popping off right off the top of our head, right off the end of our tongue, saying, this is what I think, this is what I feel, deal with it. You know, how, how blessed we would be, how encouraged we would be, how, how empowered and strengthened we would be, and how, how sweet to our listeners, the hearers it might be, if you and I would spend a little more time with God before we start popping off to people. If we would start checking our own heart and making sure that what we're doing, what we have here can then go this way. Because if this isn't right, this can't be right either. If, if my relationship with God isn't strong and secure, if my conversation with God isn't strong and open and secure, and he's not able to teach me and I'm not teachable, then, then my relationship with people is not going to be strong and secure either. And what I say to them may not be the right thing.
It may break relationships instead of mend. Right? It may destroy or tear down instead of heal. So let's look what he says. He goes to God. He says, answer me when I call God who vindicates me or God of my righteousness. You freed me from affliction. How gracious to me or be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So he starts with God. He's, he says, God, it's all on you. He, and he calls him the God who vindicates. The God who vindicates. And this, uh, this is interesting, this, this word, this, this name of God. God of my righteousness. It's the only place that we see this in Scripture. And I want to I give you the meaning of what, this, what, what, what he's trusting in. Uh, David, as he, as he prays to the God of my righteousness, yeah, he's praying to the God who is the author of his life who's the author of his faith, who's the witness, who is the judge and who is the rewarder of David's righteousness. That it is in God's ability and God's power to award righteousness to people. And that's why David appeals to God in front of, in front of and from these harsh judgments of people around him. Now, sometimes we, we get judged pretty fairly. People might say harsh things against us, and they're absolutely right. That's how we are, and we should repent and turn back to God and be restored. But there are often times where they aren't right, and where they're, they're giving false accusations against us and saying false things about us, trying to slander us and, and draw us away from a position of, of influence in people's lives. And David was feeling that. But I want us to understand that, that he, had, he had a righteousness from God because in God, his faith has been judged and he has been made and found righteous. Because his faith is where? In God. His faith is not in himself. His righteousness is not of himself. He did not earn it. He did not do enough good to make sure he was righteous. He knew that he was not. He was nothing compared to God. And we speak about this all the time. When we come to faith in Christ, it has to be empty. We have to have turned from ourselves and our sin and come to him with nothing. Because we can't add anything to God. It's Jesus plus what? Nothing equals everything. And God has imputed on him a righteousness and has imputed on us a righteousness that comes from, from grace through faith in Christ alone. He is made righteous and he prays to God of my righteousness. And then as he prays and he's fed from God, he changes gears and, and he, he questions. He throws a question out there to the people around him. Look what he says. Verse 2. How long, exalted ones, ones that have exalted themselves, how long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Selah. What's to be done here? To reflect, to pause, to ponder and to think. What are we pondering and thinking? Well, here's what we're pondering. This, this question and, and David, as he questions his enemies, he writes it for us in Scripture, and now God questions your heart and my heart at the same time. Here's the question to us. How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Stop and think about that. That's a tough question to ask ourselves. But it's super important to not just roll on through this passage, isn't it? It's super important to reflect and think, am I, am, I, am I chasing what is worthless? Am I wanting what is worthless? 
Am I pursuing what is actually a lie? The Lord. He has set apart the faithful. And that's what he goes into next. He says, says, reflect. How long will you pursue what is worthless? Or uh, love what is worthless and pursue a lie. Say law. So we just reflected on that. Am I, am I pursuing a lie? And here's the truth. It builds and it lifts our hearts to this next verse. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself and the Lord will hear when I call him. Amen. He's saying this to an enemy who surrounds him. He's in the midst of defeat. Despair is closing in. Darkness and gloom is closing in. And he says to these people, he says, listen, you're pursuing and holding on to what, loving what is worthless. You're pursuing a lie. Think about it. How long will you do that? Why, and why does he ask? Because here's the deal. I'm one of the faithful. God has found me faithful. And when I ask God, when I go to God, what does it say? He's going to hear me. When I talk to God, he's going to hear me. What he tells his enemy is, listen, God's on my side. God is on my side, and I have a confident faith in my God because salvation belongs to the Lord. And he will save and he will set apart the faithful. So when our enemies come around us, we must inform them that their fight is against God when they try to overthrow our soul. When they try to shake the confidence of our our heart, they are fighting against the sovereign God. And salvation belongs to God. And he has set us apart and sealed us as his own possession. Amen? And nothing, the scripture says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And we have a confident hope in that. Going on, confident faith, number four, is renewed in us as we we pause and reflect. A confident faith is renewed in us as we pause and reflect. We might be the faithful, but man, we better go to God in prayer. We better reflect on what his word says and his instruction says so we might, we might have that opportunity to be corrected where we are wrong. We might have an opportunity to have a change of heart. Confident faith is renewed as we pause and reflect. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He speaks again to his enemy. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Selah. He again urges this this pause and reflection. He even says it in the text. He says, be angry. Fine, you're angry. I get it. You're mad at me. You bought into a lie. Someone's told you a story about me. You're bitter. You're angry. You hate me. Fine, be angry. But, But don't put action to that yet. Don't put action to that. Don't, don't put wheels to that yet. Let's pause. Take a time out here to pause and, and, and sit on your bed and reflect in your heart and be still. You see, we have to ask ourselves that question, right? Remember last week we, we talked about the posture uh, before God and how we make decisions? That we, we walk and we stand and then we sit, right? When we walk, we're actually walking in the place that we delight. Like, I kind of delight more this way. So we tend to go through that door. Or I delight more this way, maybe in the way of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord. So I'll walk through that door. And as I walk, I, I find a place to stand. And that place to stand, usually a place that's going to help fortify my belief or my position or my delight. Whether it's the crowd that I'm in or, or some of the things I want to be part of, 
It's going to help fortify what I'm delighting in. So if it's not delighting in the Lord, or if it's delighting in a lie, or, or maybe it may be a lie about someone, or maybe acting on anger, it's not going to end up well, but I'm going to stand and f- surround myself with a company of people who are also angry and bitter and who will help me in that position. And then finally it says to sit. You will, st- you will walk, stand, and you will sit. And when we sit, what we have done is we have planted our heart there. We have wrapped our heart around it, and this is how we feel, and this is what we're going to be. And see, what he is encouraging here is that you, know, you better question where you're sitting. You better question what you've wrapped your heart around here. You better make sure it's the right thing. That You better make sure it's the truth of God, and it's, and it's sure, and it's hopeful. Because if it isn't, there's going to be hell to pay. And that's what he's saying. He's telling us, careful where you sit. Think about where you sit. Examine where you sit your heart. Be angry and do not sin. In your, on your bed, reflect in your what? In your heart. And be still. So he encourages, think about that. Go, go home tonight. Go, go to the tent tonight. Sit there on your bed. Think about what's going on. Get perspective. Get perspective. And then the Selah builds. And it says this in verse 5. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. That there is a righteousness to be had. That there is a confidence to be had. That isn't our confidence in ourselves, our own position, our own allegiances or allies. The confidence is in the righteousness of the Lord, that we would trust in the Lord. He seeks the, David, David seeks and urges his enemies to seek this renewal through reflection, right? Hoping that they will, they will have a change of heart, that they would pause and reflect, that they would desire mercy, they would desire the salvation of the Lord. And then, then David offers uh, or urges them and says, instructs them to offer sacrifices from their hearts. If you, want, if you want to trust, trust God and have God be the God of your salvation, then offer a sacrifice from your heart that clings to the Lord's righteousness and trust in the one who can actually redeem you. We have to trust in the one who can actually redeem. And they're living, listen, they're living from bitterness and anger and hate. And we know in those things, and think of your own life and in my life, in those times where I, where I embodied bitterness or hate or anger, those times that I, that I held on to those things, it didn't fill me. It never satisfied me. It never made me feel great. It made me feel more angry and more bitter and more angry and more bitter and more angry. And they're feeling that. And look, look at the next part of the verse. He goes in and he says, uh, in verse number six, many are asking. Many of you are asking, he's saying, who can show us anything good? Who can show us anything good? I, I'm angry, and I thought I chose the right side, and I, I'm coming against you, but I'm not filled. I'm not full. I don't have hope in me. I just have despair. I'm at a, I'm at a loss. Who can show me anything good? There's so much despair, and they're wondering, can anything satisfy? Can anything really, truly fill me? And then this is what David says. Look at the last thing he asks for in this passage, or in verse 6. He says, many are asking, who can show us anything good? And he prays, let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. Let the light of your face shine on us. Did you know that, that you and I, as God's chosen, holy, faithful people set apart, can bestow the radiance of God to the people around, that they would see the radiance and glory of God and be drawn into a relationship with him? And that's what he's praying for. 
He's saying, God, give, give us this hope and this courage and this strength and this confident faith that, that would reveal a countenance of the Lord, the glory of God, that it would shine on the hearts and reflect in people's hearts. There's a passage in Numbers where, where this, is, this is mentioned too, and I, it's, it's a famous verse as we pray or we sing. I'm going to read it, Numbers chapter 6, verses 20, 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses. He said, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. This is how you're to bless the Israelites. This is how you're to show and reveal and, and make me a blessing to the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with, with favor on you and give you peace. The last part of this, verse 27. In this way, in this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. When, when David prays that the, 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 the Lord would shine upon his face, and it's, it's to be a blessing. He wants it to be a blessing to those enemies that are coming all against him, those enemies who have no hope, those enemies who don't have their fill, those enemies who are asking, can, can you sh- we see anything good? Is there anything good here? See, we pause and we reflect so we can reflect the radiance of the one who gives us rest. We pause and reflect so we can reflect the radiance of the one who gives us rest. Amen? Final part of this, number five. A confident faith brings peace to our hearts. A confident faith brings peace to our hearts. It's so important to get this. It's so important. Look at verses seven and eight of chapter four. He prays back to the Lord. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and their new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. David concludes here with peace. He says in the middle, we had had a morning psalm when he woke and trouble was there facing him and he had to do business with him and then it went through the day and now we're at the evening psalm where he finally knows and explains this confident faith that he has that it results in peace. It results in peace. And it's not in stuff. I mentioned earlier, it's not in the fact that grain and new wines abound. He has more joy sitting desolate and afraid and alone in the hope and confidence in the Lord than he ever could. And more, more, more confidence and joy in the Lord than these, these people ever could with everything going well in their life. Our hope and our trust and our peace does not come from our circumstances. Our peace comes from the Lord. And here's what he says, the, the, the last part of this. He says, I will, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. He's saying that he will not stay up to watch through the eyes of fear. But he will lay down. And then he will not lie awake, listening to every rustling sound. But he will lie in peace. And he will sleep. Because his confident faith in his Lord has given him nothing to fear. And that's, that's where we end. Confident faith gives us peace. And I hope that you have that peace in your heart. That peace that only can come from God in the middle of whatever circumstance, whatever pressure you're facing, that peace has to come from the Lord.
Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, we are, we are grateful to you that you are our hope, that you are our final hope, our only hope, and that we have all the hope necessary in you. God, we know there are pressures all around us. They try to invade, they try to break us, they try to crush us, they try to suffocate us. But Lord, you are a shield about us. God, we know that there is a glory to be had your future glory, even in the present shame or trial, and that you are our protector, that you will lift our head. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence in our life. We ask that you would would hold on to our hearts. God, that you would encourage us to reflect and to pause and to really take in, in this notion that maybe we have something in us to change, that maybe there's something we need to reflect on and, and have a second chance at or or a change of heart. And God, that we would embrace the promises of God and find strength in them. We love you, Lord. We praise you for who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.